Good morning, and welcome to Upward Vision. We're glad you've chosen to join us this morning. Upward Vision is a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church with locations in Bloomington and Bedford, Indiana. Now for today's message. So my first real exposure to any life outside of the small town I grew up in Ohio was uh, my, my brother in, from college called me and said, would you like to go on a mission trip to Haiti? And I was excited. I said, sure, let's do it. So uh, on, over uh, Christmas, my sophomore year in high school, I got on a bus and rode the 36 hours, excited every minute. I don't know why, but I was, uh, to get on a plane and fly to Haiti. Well, while we were there, we were exposed to many, many different kinds of ministry and mission. And really, for a 15-year-old, it was a lot to take in. I remember, uh, the one day I remember most was, it happened to be my birthday, uh, the 28th of December. You don't have to remember that. But um, we went to a tuberculosis sanitarium, they called it. It was really kind of a death center. It was a place where people who had tuberculosis and didn't have really any hope uh, went and they were fed until they finally passed on. And we went to pray with and, and give hope to and let the people know that they hadn't been forgotten and have a little, a little, little uh, gift bag to give to them. Well, I walked up onto a little, it looked like a little stable area really, half walls, and there was a grass mat on the floor and there was one boy in there. And he looked to be about my size and my age. So as I leaned over and I gave him the gift bag and he, um, he gra- actually grabbed a hold of my leg and said something to me and we uh, walked away. There was a translator there and I said to the translator, what did he say? And she said, oh, never mind. And I said, no, no, tell me please what he said. He, says, he said, help me, I'm, I'm dying. And um, something in me said, what right do I have? <laughs> to be the guy who gives the gift bag? What right do I have to be walking away healthy to fly home and tell his story? And why is he the one who's going to pass away in this little square room uh, soon? It, as I look back, people ask me why, you know, all these years I've worked with global stuff, why, and I, and I actually reflect on that moment. I think it was a God thing in my heart where he planted something deep, seared something deep into my heart that um, fortunately, because of the blessing of working here at the church and working with the Poor House Cafe and Youth for Christ earlier, I've been able to uh, move in ways that would channel resources to people in need, and that's been a great blessing to me, so I'm, I'm very thankful to be standing in front of you and doing what I do in a generous church. It does make a difference out there, whether you ever go or not. Um, It really does. So today, we're going to continue our study of the book of Acts. Um, In the past several weeks, we've looked at the first followers. Uh, They had some growth spurts. Uh, We started out in Jerusalem, the temple on Pentecost, and many Jewish believers came to Christ. And then there were people from other tribes that were interested, Greeks, Romans, Samaritans. 
And uh, as the early church got over their concerns with favoritism and some prejudice, as we've heard the last couple weeks, um, they grew and then they launched out even beyond Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria uh, to take salvation, the, the message of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus to far off places. So today, we're looking at this idea of radical mission. So fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> there are going to be a lot of images and numbers and ideas and things that I want to com uh, communicate to you that are very real, but they're big. So uh, hold on. We're going to start with Jesus' commission to us, the last words before he ascended uh, that came to us through first through the end of Matthew, the gospel, and then through the accounts in the beginning part of Acts. I've asked my designated reader, Gail, if she would read these verses to us. Um, so we'll start with the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Hmm. I've often reflected on how it must have felt to be one of those guys hearing those words going, huh, <laughs> who, us? You ex no, that, well, we'll just wait and see. Well, we know that it happened. Um, in fact, it happened at such a scale that as a teaching team, we were trying to zero in on which, which missionary story should we focus on to make our story to, to, to dive into as a, as a congregation. And, you know, I've decided there really wasn't one. There, is, there are so many interactions. There are so many events, um, persecution, lots of things going on that... Um, I want to go to what I think was the beginning of it all, uh, uh, well, past the Great Commission, and start there. And I, I believe it was uh, a time when this gathering, uh, the gathering of people, wherever, was kind of catapulted into a, a form of scattering. Um, if you can imagine a dandelion that's gone to seed, and you blow that, you know, where the seeds all go. Um, that's how God made nature work. And I believe that's the way he grew the church too. Uh, unfortunately, most times it was through adversity and, and persecution. In this case, it was. It was uh, right after Stephen. If you remember, Stephen had given this wonderful message in the street and was stoned to death. The apostle Paul, named Saul then, was standing there watching. And um, that triggered something. And, and apparently there was a persecution that followed that really scattered believers to many, many places. And as they scattered, they carried the story of Jesus with them. And it was one of the ways that the mission passed from place to place. So, Abigail, uh, she'll read uh, from Acts 8, please. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. 
Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So uh, last week, Sean referred to this scattering too. Uh, from uh, it was actually Acts 11. There's a portion that talks about how the the uh, disciple or the first believers were scattered to Phoenicia, to Cyprus, to Cyrene, and to Antioch, and there they shared the good news with the Jews and the Greeks. And um, as this persecution became a catalyst for the spreading of the gospel. Um, these groups that had formed in these different places began to organize into what we would recognize as a church, uh, a church plant, as we call them today in mission terms. By the way, this, this idea of the dandelion uh, seeds, that's, in mission terms, that's called diaspora. I know that's used in other places too, but the diaspora of the church is how the church spread without a plan, <laughs> probably by force, God had the plan. So the diaspora took form in churches in places. One of those churches was in Antioch. And Antioch is a, a, a town in Turkey. It's actually 300 miles away from Jerusalem, where it all started. And, uh, and they say that it ranked with Rome, with Alexandria, in its power, its size, its wealth, and its vice. But it also had a large group of Jewish people who accepted the gospel, and Greek people who were curious and accepted the gospel, and they formed a strong church. And in the church of Antioch, they also took Jesus' commission very seriously to begin sending people out intentionally to other places with the gospel. Well, we know that Saul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was transformed into one of the leaders of the church. And it was the church of Antioch that sent Paul out. Paul, the map behind me, Paul went to uh, four, on four different missionary journeys. Some places say three because three he returned. On the fourth one, he stayed in Rome. Uh, but they went out from the church of Antioch to many different places. And along the way, he taught, he established churches, he was persecuted. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, conversation that went on. A lot of things happened. Uh, and it, along the way, he wrote letters back to those churches, whether he was in prison or wherever. And those letters have become the core of our New Testament Christian theology as we look back to the, the letters of Paul as he traveled to all of those places. I hope that you're taking time to look at the, um, uh, uh, refer the, um, what's the right word? I can't think of it. Spanish words fly in my head sometimes. <laughs> and they're the wrong words too. Uh, but um, we have this list of readings that we've 
suggested for you to read along. I hope you're doing that. And I hope you're also imagining the experience as you read uh, as if you were there uh, to allow God to plant those experiences in your heart as well. So um, we know that now as the church spread, it continued to spread. Uh, Paul's journeys were like 15 years of his life well over two years at each journey. And now, today, Christianity is the largest world religion and has been for a number of years. Over the decade, we know through church history that the centers of faith, the centers of Christianity, have moved from, they started in the Middle East, started in Middle East, North Africa, um, in Asia, and in about, 1000 AD, 800 to 1000 AD, we saw a movement toward North, uh, Northern Europe. And, uh, you know, you hear about the Celtic gospel, you hear, uh, you know, a lot of missionaries were British or uh, uh, from Scotland or from Ireland uh, during that era, and they had a, a goal to evangelize the world from there. And then the gospel and all of the, the, like the center of the Christian movement moved toward the Americas. And in 1500, of course, uh, there were reasons other than gold (laughs) that people came to the new world. And so in Latin America, uh, largely the Roman Catholic Church, and then in North America, largely the Protestant Church were formed and became kind of the stronghold. As of the year 2000, The church is growing more rapidly in Latin America, uh, in Africa, and in Asia than it is here in North America. Uh, In fact, there are to date as many believers in China as there are in the United States. Might be a shock to you, but this same diaspora happened when their social revolution happened. People who were believers in the cities had to flee and they went to their villages where their grandparents lived and they took the gospel with them. (laughs) So uh, the underground church has grown in China at incredible rates and uh, God is doing his thing there. Another statistic I heard recently is that the lead pastors in the largest churches in England are from Nigeria, Africa. (laughs) because that's the way God's doing it. There are missionaries going out from almost every Christianized country to other countries. And many of those countries, some of them, we can't get into with a U.S. passport, but people from Latin America can, or from Korea or from other places. So the church continues to grow. Um, so Christendom from, has grown from 11 disciples who took the Great Commission seriously to over 30% of the world population. There are 2.4 billion Christians spread across the globe, 30,000 Christian denominations and organizations worldwide, and 5.5 million full-time Christian workers like us who are in our home churches and others, as you'll hear later in a video, who have traveled to other places to serve. So, From 11 to 30% of the world population, that's not bad. But we have to think about how did that happen? 
It began to grow through the blood of the martyrs, through much adversity, like we get reports that COVID has actually stimulated church growth around the world, and persecution, which we never will face, but many of our mission partners do face that today, here and now. You'll hear a lot more about that next week because uh, Sean's going to be speaking to you about the persecuted church. I'd like to take a look through a different lens right now, and that is at the 70% of the world who, that's not Christian. 40% of that group is unreached completely, never heard and probably never will hear the name of Jesus unless somebody does something about that. Uh, we have a video that will explain that to you. Please watch with me and uh, we'll move on from there. In the beginning, God created everything. He created a world full of people to know him and to be known by him. This is the story of the Bible, God bringing people to himself. And when we read the Bible, we see how God went to great lengths to do this and how much God cares about people knowing him. You most likely already know this. And you probably live somewhere where people have a general understanding of this great love story between God and humanity. And if they don't know yet, there's probably somebody in town who can tell them. But did you also know that there are three billion people who will live and die without ever hearing this story? Not because they don't care, but because they don't have a choice. Nobody ever told them that once upon a time, God became a human just like them, so that he could teach them how to know their creator. 40% of the world doesn't know this, and they won't know this. Not unless something changes. Not unless someone goes to tell them. Jesus is our wonderful example. He left his natural home to come to us, and then he tells us to do the same thing. Because we love Jesus and care about the same things that he cares about, we care about this. That the whole world would know him. That every tongue, tribe, and people group would come and be able to worship him. So the question is, are we doing this? Going out into the world to bring the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation? Well, kind of. While churches do send people out, almost half the world still doesn't have any access to the gospel. But how is this possible? Aren't there people being sent? Well, yeah. There are about 400,000 people serving across the world today. But only 3% of them are actually going to the 40% who have never heard about Jesus. The other 97%, they're going to places that have already heard about Jesus. There's an imbalance. That imbalance leaves only one person for each 250,000 people who have never heard about Jesus. Put another way, we have a spirit-led calling to rethink our focus. When you look at how we use our resources, such as money, the picture doesn't look that much better. To be specific, Christians around the world are giving about 2% of their income to Christian causes. And less than 7% of that is going to cross-cultural workers. And of that cross-cultural giving, only one one-hundredth of that 0.1% is actually going to those working with the three billion people who don't know Jesus, have no church, or any Christian neighbors. The other 99% of all cross-cultural giving goes to the rest of the world that already has Christians, Bibles, and churches. Are you seeing the imbalance? Only 3% of our workers with only 1% of our cross-cultural finances are going to the 3 billion people who have never heard about Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with this? We want those 3 billion people to hear about the kingdom of God and how much God loves them. There are 17,000 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. 
People who share language, culture, and common history. 7,000 of them are considered unreached people groups. These are entire cultures who have never heard the amazing story of how Jesus loves them and came to save them. God has called us to pay attention to this, to love and care for the same things that he does. He put this desire on our heart to see the unreached reached with the amazing story of the love of God. We want to see lasting local church planning movements begin among these people groups that brings renewal and transformation among these cultures and societies. Why? Because God has moved our hearts to see the gospel transform whole societies among the unreached. We know this task is bigger than us. Many of the areas that are in need of the gospel are difficult and resistant places. It isn't something that can be accomplished overnight, but by the power of the Spirit, we endeavor to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that God can be worshiped by all peoples. So that's a lot of numbers. Um, it seems like an impossible task, but I want you to know that um, we are, as a church, trying to do something about this. Um, it's my job to be sure that we are channeling our resources in the right direction. And I have some great help with a group of 12 people who are well-informed, uh, who help us vet and also oversee 41 mission partners around the world. Um, we have a, a a priority or criteria that we use as we do the selection. And I wanted to share that with you because it's your resources that are being shared with these people to be able to do the work that they do. The first is that we prefer missions that clearly evangelize and disciple unreached people. So a priority for us is the unreached that prepare leaders for Christian service that are led by indigenous leadership. Now this is important to us. Simi, is from North India. She knows the language, she knows the culture, she has a passion for her people, and she does that much better than I ever could, or anybody from this church could. So we trust her, we trust her with our resources, we rejoice with her when we hear her reports, and we support her needs because she's doing good things. That's the same in Africa, that's the same across the world, we try to seek out indigenous leaders to do that. We meet the needs of widows, orphans, immigrants, and also the under-resourced according to our understanding of the biblical definition of justice. We help those people in missions that do that. Manage resources responsibly. We prefer missions that communicate regularly with our church, and I get lots of mail. Uh, provide opportunities to face or for face-to-face -face partnership. And for that, we, we mean we, we like to have the mission projects where we go or we do site visits, but we also like to invite our missionaries to come here if they have the resources for that or if we can help them. So we can know them. So uh, we know their kids' names. And so we can pray. And believe me, um, when my daughter uh, recently had a, a child born uh, with Down syndrome, one of the first emails I received was from India saying we've formed special prayer groups for your daughter and for your grandchild. They love us, they care for us, and it makes the world a much smaller place. So uh, our budget this year was close to half a million dollars.
for local and global outreach. It's divided in about 18% went toward uh, local causes. And much more goes out than that for local, but this is uh, our missions budget piece. 62% is global, spread around the world, and 20% of that is for special projects as they come along and administration. Um, of our 41 local and global partners, uh, 10 are local, uh, one is in the New England states, nine are global. That means that each one of these organizations uh, uh, has ministry in many different countries. So actually these, these nine global organizations pretty much cover the whole, the whole world <laughs> as far as the countries they're working in. We have four specific to Latin America, four in Europe working mostly with post-Christian and Muslim groups, four in Asia that are really focused in on the unreached, and five in Africa, which are reaching the tribal unreached. The methods they use are varied, and incredibly varied, as you heard Simi talking about the methods they use to reach out. Uh, one that our friends, the Ruffs, use in Northern Africa is people there don't, they don't have written language. They have tribal languages. They communicate well, but they're called oral tradition. They exchange ideas just through their, what they hear. So they've translated stories from the scriptures and put them on SIM cards that the people put into their phones and they listen to the stories. And they've had many, many people come to Christ because of the series of stories that they listen to and then sit around the campfire and discuss them. And that's church for them. I think I'd like a church like that. <laughs> it's great. But there's so many different, I'm, I'm inspired by the creative ways that our mission partners are reaching out. So we just did a survey uh, this last month because I wanted to give you fresh information and found that of our mission partners that responded, 27, 30 responded, um, that they're working with 200 different ethnic groups. 60 of them are clearly in the unreached category. So our missionaries are doing that kind of work. And the report is, uh, and this just blew me away, that this year, from January to October, they have seen 31,409 conversions, baptisms, because of the work that they're doing in these unreached places. So we are... And I'm telling you, I take no credit for that, but I do want to pass on all the praise and credit to our partners who are out there. And some of them are doing this under severe persecution, but they're doing it anyway. <laughs> and that is just awesome. So for the number crunchers here, that's of our half million dollar investment, that's $16 per baptism. So pretty good investment, especially considering that, according to Francis Chan's research recently, considering all the cost of churches in the U.S. and the money invested, the grand total amount for one baptism in the United States is $1,500,000 is invested for every baptism that's registered. So, quite a difference in comparison. So, if anybody wonders here, if our missions money is going to good use, please tell them, yes, <laughs> it's a good deal, a good bang for the buck. Um, so, what can we do? I, uh, the question comes down to us, like I say. Big numbers, people live far away. 
even every time I go and I go often and I realize that 40% of this world today still cooks on open fires and that's a reality. They don't have stoves. They use wood, charcoal, or dried cow dung like most people in India do. Um, 40%, that same 40% will never see the internet. They'll never have a computer in their hands. And it's just hard to bridge that gap. It's almost impossible for us to think that way. So I want to ask you, first step is to care. To ask God to help us care. Ask him to massage our hearts so that we will care about people we'll never know in cultures that we don't live in or understand. Um, there are ways that through even what you read can help you, take you in to explore different cultures and areas. Um, please just take that challenge to do whatever you can to be aware of the lives lived by our brothers and sisters who we'll spend eternity with I guess then we can figure it out. They can tell us what life was like for them. <laughs> but I'd much rather that we attach to a culture, to a person, to something. Get to know somebody from another culture here. Ask them lots of questions. Second way is to give. There's a little booklet outside that you can uh, grab onto, uh, take home with you. It, it features all of our mission partners and also a way in it. There's a little sign-up sheet there that you can make a special gift for Christmas for our mission partners and uh, feel free to take those books home with you so you can know who we're supporting. Third way is to pray and that is uh, there are a couple of great apps out there. One is through Operation World prayer app. It, it will give you a daily reminder of a people group with details about what their prayer needs are that you could have come up on your phone and you could say a quick prayer for them. It's a great education tool as well. Another one by a group called uh, uh, Joshua Project, Unreached of the Day app. And it'll, it'll show not just a nation or people, but actual unreached groups to you. And the last one is Go. And I would be happy to take any of you with me to explore any of our mission partners. COVID's kind of restricting that, but once that levels out, we're going to ramp up again to be able to go out and visit our partners. This has been Upward Vision, a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. With locations on the east and west sides of Bloomington and in Bedford, Sherwood Oaks has a worship service to meet your needs. To receive a free copy of today's message or for more information about any of our locations and service times, go to socc.org messages. Thanks for joining us. Continue to look to God this week as you maintain the upward vision.